Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. Today, I talked to Caroline Welling Van Dusen. Now, Caroline is the author of The Diary of Elizabeth Dixon, 1845-47, to published in White House History, Issue 33, by the White House Historical Association. You may wonder who Elizabeth Dixon is, and that's because Elizabeth worked hard to erase herself from history. She even went so far as to pay off reporters not to write about her. She did, however, leave behind her diaries and letters, which were passed down from generation to generation until they landed in the hands of Caroline, Elizabeth's direct descendant. Today, Caroline talks in depth about her third great-grandmother, Elizabeth Dixon, whose presence was requested by First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln during the dark hours following her husband's fatal shooting. Elizabeth is even depicted in the painting The Last Hours of Abraham Lincoln by Alonzo Chappelle. She's seated next to Mary, who is sprawled in utter despair across the dead body of President Lincoln. Caroline Welling Van Dusen, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So I just, we start off right away with the question and then we see where we meander to. But the question is, what is your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? <laughs> it's, it's whatever I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and what I'm working on right now is a diary from 1840. It was a honeymoon diary written by my great-great-grandmother. So I, I would say my favorite time in history is October of 1840 to to uh, June of 1841 uh, in Europe. So the social history of that time. Okay. Yep, they went on their European honeymoon. And uh, so, who was your ancestor? What was her name? Her name was Elizabeth Lord Cogswell Dixon. So Elizabeth Dixon. Okay. She goes by. So. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her, about what you know about her personality? Let's start off there. Okay. I kind of came upon her while I was doing some research. Um, My family and Elizabeth Dixon was my great-great-grandmother, my my grandfather's mother. My grandfather's grandmother. And she left a lot of papers, letters, 
And I was the only one in the family that was interested in it. And uh, she was a really fascinating woman. And she lived in a time when women's names were in the newspaper twice in their lives. Once when they were married and once when they died. And any other time, their name should never be in the paper because privacy was everything. So it's been a real adventure for me to find out about this fascinating woman through her papers, her diaries, and really get excited about history because it's her story that I'm kind of fascinated with and how she lived, what she, you know, valued and wrote about. When she was writing, a lot of times she was writing for her daughters, and her daughter was my great-grandmother, Clementine. So I feel very connected. Oh, I love that name, Clementine. Mm-hmm. When you say she was writing for her daughters, what can you expound on that? She lived at a time when so what they did in society was very, very different. They they kept diaries, like social diaries. Elizabeth Dixon, when she went to Washington in 1845 with her husband and her two daughters, Clemmy, and her other toddler daughter, Bessie, she kept a diary. And she dedicated the diary to Clemmy and Bessie. I think it was probably to help them navigate. Oh, it's such a very complicated social world back then of calling on different individuals at a certain time and it was lots of protocol for a woman. That diary um, my aunt had started to transcribe and I ended up um, finishing the transcription. 50 pages of you know handwritten diary and then I submitted it. The only place I really thought it was the right place was the White House Historical Association because she talks all about the White House and meeting President Polk and, and she described what the White House looked like yeah. and oh, wow. what everybody wore and what they ate. I mean, the details that she put down on paper was... Historians in the future will, will definitely appreciate they, they appreciate it. I, I published that diary and uh, 2013 in White House History, issue 33. Oh, that's right. I think I, yeah. I did read that. I saw yeah. that. Those 50 pages, what time period did it cover? That was during the Mexican War, 1845 to 1847. Wow. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah. For 50 pages. At the end, there's like pages and pages, the lists she kept a list of every single person she visited, and it got the numbers got up to eight eight hundred. Oh my word! So this is besides the fifty pages, or yeah, yeah. Oh. But I didn't publish that, but I have yeah. that, and it's like she, they had to. She had to just keep track of it. <laughs> eight hundred visitors. Eight hundred visitors to her home. Well, she she kept a list of received visitors okay. and her visits. So she was. Would you say she was a socialite? Yeah. Yep. She had gone to a a private academy educated school in New York City. She lived in New York. She was like part of the New York City elite. 
She lived right on Washington Square. She went to, you know, girls' school there, boarding school. Fascinating. And uh, her father was a minister, and he had a nervous breakdown. They lived in, in Maine, and he had a nervous breakdown, and so he moved all of the family to New York City to live with his brother on, on St. John's Park. And she was only 10 years old, and that's what she started going to. Her formal education, she says. And so who does she marry? She married a gentleman from Enfield, Connecticut, named James Dixon. He was a poet, first of all. And second of all, he was a, a lawyer and a politician. And he became a senator, Senator James Dixon from Connecticut. And so that's when they go to Washington. Yep. They go to Washington in 1845 when he becomes a junior a statesman. He, he was in the House of Representatives. Right as he was leaving, Abraham Lincoln was coming in. Lincoln was at the 30th, and the, the Dixons, they were there during the, the 29th Congress. So how long did they actually live in Washington? Just those, those few years when he was a representative. And then he came back in 1858 or 9, and then he was there through the Civil War and through 1868, through the Civil War, though, definitely, yeah, and through the Johnson. Why does he go back at that time period then? Well, he was a Whig. He was an anti-slavery senator. He had not been in politics. He was in, like, business and a lawyer in Connecticut, but Mm -hmm. I think it was the issues that were, you know... it before the country. That's interesting. So he probably sounds like he went there so that he could have, as things were changing and transitioning during the Civil War, so he could have his uh, agenda uh, heard and put forth. That's very interesting. Definitely. So let's get back to Elizabeth. From reading her diary, and you know anything obviously that you know through the family, what can you tell us about her? Like, what are some of the Piccadillys or things that you captured from reading this of her, like her personality and that type of thing? She was very quick-witted, gentle heart, very sweet, very sentimental. I have her Victorian album that she kept when she was single. She was a real, like, catch, real catch. She talks in her diaries about her bows, all the different bows, like oh, wow. George W. Riggs was Riggs Bank. He had been her bow. In, in the diary, the Washington diary, she talks about playing with him like, oh, no, they argued back and forth about who had the cuter children or the better looking children or the or the nicer home kind of like bantering back and forth so she was very playful in her her diary or watching diary she said I wonder if anyone will find this interest in after years for that was my object in writing this it was a giddy life but my head was not turned by it so, like, she writes about meeting and, and becoming very good friends with Dolly Madison. Wow. Who's an old dowager. 
theory. Okay. Yeah. Her best friend was Lydia Signy. She was a very famous poet, a woman's poet at that time, and an educator and uh, abolitionist in Hartford. That was her best friend. So she surrounded herself with very interesting people. Her home was open to artists and writers and just the list of people that come through her. Her parlor when she's in Washington is just all the rock stars of the day. Yeah. Oh, fun. How cool yeah. is that? Tell us about her relationship with the Lincolns. As far as I can tell, she became very good friends with Mary Lincoln. And her husband was was close to Abraham Lincoln because when he was getting elected, he came through Hartford and, and James Dixon was the one that recommended Gideon Wells as the Navy secretary, secretary of Navy, who was also from Hartford. But uh, Elizabeth Dixon, everything that I say and talk about, I only know this because of papers that were left within our family's collection or I found in archives primary sources. I used to wonder, oh, I wonder if they're friend, they were friends. And, but then I found solid documentation that Mary Lincoln was a good friend of Elizabeth Dixon's, but because women's privacy was essential to them, only through letters have I been able to kind of piece their friendship together. So Elizabeth Dixon was academy educated, just like Mary Lincoln. I mean, you can see why they became friends. They both spoke French and they both were very witty and great conversationalists and could certainly hold their own in the grand salons. Elizabeth Dixon doesn't really talk about politics in her diaries. Not at all. Well, she says, well, I think they're, they're voting upon this, the subject of the state of Oregon today. Okay. You know. Oh, and so she sat up in the gallery. Oh, because we had to go watch the vote. That kind of thing. But, oh, okay. So but she, she never, you never get a sense of her opinions of uh, politics. No. But slavery, she was definitely against slavery. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say. They were. They were on the right side of history. So I'm intrigued by that fact and that she supported her husband. Now, would you say that she and her husband were, were well matched? And do you think that she had a voice in her being matched up with him? I am confident that he was the one that she hand selected to be her husband. Oh, okay. Good for her. Yes. <laughs> She had the pick of all the eligible bachelors. Even when she goes over to Europe, she talks about people on the boat that were used to be her bows. So, she, yeah, she definitely um, selected him. In fact, when she was over in Europe, um, they were traveling with a companion. He was the president of Bowdoin College whose name was Leonard Woods, Dr. Leonard Woods. But they also met up with and were traveling with the Gardner family from New York. And Julia Gardner became the president, John Tyler's wife. So when they were over in Europe and they met up with Julia Gardner, Tyler, um, she was still single. And Elizabeth Dixon wrote in her diary that 
Elizabeth Dixon was saying, mentioning that she thought someone, when they met the King of France, they met the King of France together and how Elizabeth Dixon thought one of the men in the court were really handsome. And Julia Gardner said, why are you looking at anyone else when your husband was the, definitely the best looking man there? Or you shouldn't ever have to look any further than your husband because she thought he was really handsome. And he, he actually was. We have a portrait of him. Um, he was really, really pretty cute. They didn't need portraits anymore once Carte de Visites came along. And um, so we have those to see what she looked like, you know, later in life. That's cool coming from uh, the family historian, my family, to have images, likenesses of your... Cause <laughs> my family was coal miners. You know, so we didn't have any like, I don't have any likenesses of them until the beginning, you know, the turn of the century. So that's, that right there is so tangible. And as yeah. a historian, you're always looking for that tangible connection to uh, the people who came before us, right? Yes. Yeah. And this is all really new to me. And I didn't know any of this 20 years ago. How did you find out about it? Well, after my father died, he was kind of the keeper okay. of everything. I have a passion of, of like trying to preserve things and making sure they're not lost. So I actually became like an archivist for our family and digitized everything. Just I don't want to be the curator of everything. I just want to know where it is. It's yeah. safe. And eventually get things donated if they're historically valuable to yeah. history. I know more than just where the bodies are buried. Oh, yeah. I have all their personal possessions that are left in the family. Like the, the dress that Elizabeth Dixon wore in 1865. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, where yeah. is the dress? It's in a... It's in a um, archival box in my office. Let's get back to the Lincoln connection and what evidence do we have that they were in fact friends? Actually, my whole life there was always family lore. We had, you know, all my life. All of my cousins, we all had the same story that that our great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother Elizabeth Dixon was there when Abraham Lincoln died. Wow. So she was taken from her home and um, called to be with Mary Lincoln as her friend to comfort her through the night. She loved Mary Lincoln. She brought her sister with her too because her sister knew Mary Lincoln too. But you know, after President Lincoln was shot, he lay dying at the Peterson house for nine hours. Mm-hmm. She arrived there at uh, 11 o'clock, and then he died at 7.22 in the morning. And then she brought Mary Lincoln back to the White House, a, a lonely widow. And we know this because she wrote a letter about that night. Actually, she wrote two letters, and she described the horror that they experienced there, how Mary Lincoln would 
you know, go in to see Lincoln and then they'd usher her out and that she would go in again and then she noticed a change and he, and, and she fainted and she, Elizabeth Dixon caught her in her arms and brought her to the window and, and, uh, and then was there the moment he died. He was, she was there with Mary Lincoln at that moment wow. when they said, the president is no more. That's what she said, that they said. Who are the letters to? Her sister, Louise, as soon as she got home from coming from D.C., it was for, to her younger, younger sister, Louise. Wow. A year later, she wrote a letter to O.C. Marsh, who was uh, like a friend, a family friend, but kind of like she called, her, called him her nephew. And that second letter, she talks about how she was traumatized by the whole experience. Wow. And she paid reporters to keep her name out of the paper. Oh, So wow. that's why she erased herself from history. She erased herself while yeah. she was successful at erasing herself. Yeah. Until you came along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an important story. It's These are the kind of histories oh. I like to talk about on my show because... It's that moment, and you can put yourself in her shoes and see it through her eyes. And that's very in a very intimate moment in history to be a part of. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Oh, and when I went back to the Peterson house, I was there for the 150-year anniversary. I was of there Lincoln's death. Of Lincoln's assassination. Yeah. The Peterson House was, they remained open all night long. Did all, they? Throughout the night. Wow. Yeah. They, yep, they had, oh, it was just such a production, both Ford's Theater and the Peterson House and the National Portrait Gallery had round the clock. Now, events. refresh our memory. Who who were the Petersons and why were a, they, why were they was, at that house? Okay. The, it was just a boarding house and a man named Peterson owned it. And it just happened to be across the street from Ford's Theater. And after the, the president was shot, he was wounded. They determined that he could not be brought back to the White House. They couldn't have him. They knew that the, the, the wound was fatal. And a president can't die in a theater. That would be no-no because it was just not respectful. So they carried him across the street to a boarding house, put him in a back bedroom. On, and it was, he was too big for the bed, so they laid him down across the bed with his feet sticking out. Yeah, it was just a plain boarding house. But it's still now, you could go there. It's just remarkable. And I, I was there 150 years to the hour that uh, my great-great-grandmother was. And it was just so moving. Yeah, sure. And I'm the first to go back there. I was determined that if anyone was going to tell the story of Elizabeth Dixon, I wanted to honor her mm-hmm. because she was a really strong woman. She was a very incredible woman. And we see that through her writing. So, Well, and the fact that she was thought of to the point that Mary invited her into her husband's death, 
even though we might not know her true beliefs or anything like that, the fact, I mean, to me, that speaks volumes about her character. Yeah. And the, the unknowns, but you can kind of imagine she must have had integrity. She did. In fact, her daughter, Bessie, who was, you know, the old maid, she lived in the old house and lived to be over 100 years old. They had to carry her out of the bed, out of the house when they sold it to the Etna. If you go to Hartford and you see the Etna Insurance Company home offices right there off of 84, mm -hmm. that's where the Dixon's home was. And so Bessie, the oldest daughter, she wrote, she was at a luncheon and she documented this. Uh, she gave a talk for like the DAR, the Saturday Afternoon Club or something like that. She wrote that there was a story that Elizabeth Dixon shared with her that Mary Lincoln told her about her husband. One day he was looking out the window at the White House and, and Mary Lincoln said, what are you looking at, husband? Abraham Lincoln said, I'm wondering which one of those officers gets to see Miss Kinney first. Now, Miss Kinney was Elizabeth Dixon's niece. Miss Kinney was there at the Peterson house too when Lincoln died. Oh. Her mother was Elizabeth Dixon's sister. So Elizabeth Dixon and her sister, Mary Kinney, were both called to the Peterson house to be there to comfort. So the Kinneys had a relationship with Mary Lincoln too. When you hear that story, you go, hmm, it's kind of odd that Lincoln would be saying that about a young single Miss Kinney to his but, wife, no less. Yeah, but I think it's an indication of how close Elizabeth Dixon was with Mary Lincoln that she could share these kind of like off-color comments about the president. Yeah, that's true. I'm so curious to know why they were abolitionists and if you have any insight into that, why the Dixons were. Lydia Sigourney. She was an abolitionist. She was one of the first instructors for Ruggles, um, David Ruggles. He was a freed black and uh, Lydia Sigourney was his first teacher. Actually, I just recently discovered this, that uh, Margaret Bayard Smith, who was a writer and living in Washington, D.C., She's very well known as far as society in, in Washington, early, early Washington, for like 40 years, she documented Washington society. Well, her sister was Elizabeth Dixon's stepmother's aunt. So Elizabeth Dixon learned all about society through Margaret Bayard Smith, but also Margaret Bayard Smith wrote the first anti-slavery children's books. That this is just coming out even before Harriet Beecher Stowe. And Harriet Beecher Stowe lives on the same, she lived on the same street as Elizabeth Dixon. Hmm. Much later, but right next to 
Mark Twain in Hartford. I've checked, they've never owned slaved, slaves. Um, you know, Elizabeth Dixon, is, she's let us learn about as much as, like she's really selectively left things behind about her. So I do believe that she was, uh, I know she was anti-slavery, um, but, oh, I think the, also, um, definitely, I forgot, I left this out. When she went on her, her European honeymoon, the first place she went was Hannah Moore's gravesite. Hannah Moore was, um, she was a cultural leader and, um, her letters were a model uh, for like cultural change. She and Wilberforce were the ones that in England helped abolish slavery. What she did for high culture, Wilberforce did in politics. So this is Hannah Moore. So this is a woman that Elizabeth Dixon admired and she was definitely an abolitionist. That's the way they get things done. I mean, it was kind of behind the scenes. Uh, they, they figured if you could get their heart to change, their mind would follow. So the women were working on the emotional side to try to change people's views. Because, you know, England, they abolished slavery a long time before us. Yeah, but they were still complicit with regards to the financial aspects of slavery and the commerce of slavery. They were, mm -hmm. yeah. That's how it Anyways, goes. that's just another story. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. But um, so, so the, the diary that I'm transcribing right now is Europe um, in 1840, and she talks about going to all these places in London. And that's why I was so thrilled to hear your podcast with with Jack in London. The, oh yeah, Jack Cheshire. Yes, yes, because he's my guy. I'm going to have him. Yeah, right. I'm going to have him do on the street. I've been because I've got these different places she went to, and I yeah. wanna, I want to see is it still there? I mean, I think they are. Walk around the way she described it is that front. Bay window still there in the hotel. So, looking, she describes looking out and watching a funeral pass by. And, mm. and anyway, yeah. that's how I want to kind of bring it into now. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me tell you one other thing about okay. that I haven't gotten to. And that is a third letter that was written not by Elizabeth Dixon describing the night Lincoln died, but Mary Lincoln. She wrote a letter to Elizabeth Dixon, thanking her for being there with wow. her. She wrote wow. it six months after the death. And it was miscataloged. My aunt had, died, had donated it to the Connecticut Historical Society. It wasn't cataloged. No one knew about it. So really, I was the, the first one to, to... It was the proof that really gave yeah. me the confirmation mm -hmm. that Elizabeth Dixon and Mary Lincoln knew each other. And not just that they knew each other. She writes in the letter, I'll paraphrase it, 
When Robert said to me, Mother, who should I go for? Mary Lincoln said, Mrs. Dixon and Miss Kinney. Oh, the scenes we passed through have left me so, you know, brokenhearted. And she closes with, uh, you know, how she wishes she could send a little relic, you know, but all of her belongings were in boxes. And she thanked Miss Kinney. She wants to thank Miss Kinney so much. Miss Kinney must have sent her something. And, and she closes the letter with, and how I have loved you so. You know, she wishes she could come and visit her and, mm-hmm. and closes, you know, your friend or whatever, that Mary Lincoln. And so when I read that, how she loved her so, mm. was like, oh, man. That, I, I cried when I finally read those words. It was a lost letter. Yeah, so how did you stumble on it, on that lost letter? I knew that there was a collection donated by my aunt, Elsa, uh. my great aunt, to the Connecticut Historical Society. So I, I just took a field trip there, requested that I show me all the documents. And that was one of the letters in the, our collection. There are also wow. letters. So Elizabeth Dixon, she collected autographs. That was her hobby. Yeah, a lot of people did that back then. Yeah, that's a fascinating. It's fascinating. So, um, so that left a nice trail for me to follow. Not just how did she get these letters? They were usually given by a friend of a friend because she asked for them. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. She wrote him a letter asking for an autograph, and he misplaced her letter, and then he wrote her this charming letter, how, you know, apologizing. She has a letter from George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, presidents, you know, all the people that she wanted letters from Mm -hmm. that were important to her. Writers like Washington Irving and Audubon. It's been fun kind of researching some of the unknown people like Granger. Well, and Gideon it tells Granger. us, it gives us a window into her personality even more when you think about yeah. it. That those were the books that she was reading, you know, that those were the people she was following. And most recently, Gideon Granger. He's the Juneteenth hero. Okay. He's the one that went to Texas to tell them and announced that slavery, everyone was free. And he was a good friend of her. There's two really nice letters in her collection from him. So it's been, it's been a journey, honestly. Yeah. It sounds like a really compelling journey. What a family legacy. Was there anything else about the history you wanted to tell me about that I didn't ask or you wanted to share? Well, it kind of, it continues on because my great-grandmother married a a real mover and shaker in Washington, James Clark Welling, my great-grandfather, and he, he was the the national intelligence or editor during the Civil War, but later he became the president of George Washington University. And he was there for 20 years, made a lot of positive changes. And he helped form, he was one of the founders of the National Geographic Society, Cosmos Club, the Smithsonian, he was a regent. Corcoran Art Gallery was very influential there. In fact, my grandfather's name is William Corcoran Welling. He was a good friend of William Corcoran. So he really had an 
impact on the community there in Washington. He has always been a very, we've all, we have all of his writings and we're real proud of him too. Um, he, he was much more known to us than Elizabeth Dixon. Well, I know he, you have quite a, you know, quite a few stories that have to do with other ancestors. So I'll probably have to have you back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about them, but I was really intrigued by yeah. um, Elizabeth, and thank you for mm -hmm. um, humoring me and sharing that particular history. Um, so let's get back to that one question I asked, why this history? It's important. Well, Elizabeth Dixon, she tried to erase herself from history, but her influence, we, we cannot ignore the power women had within the parlors and who they influenced behind in the wings. They really mm -hmm. did. And their story isn't shared because they wanted to re erase themselves from history. But they were the agents of change. They're the ones that helped the culture and influenced different people that were making the political decisions. Their writings are, are very valuable and speak to current times right now. So what one thing do you want to leave my listeners with if they could remember one thing about her? Well, I think it's more so that everyone has a story, a great story, a great person that came before us mm -hmm. that if you that we we should be documenting our lives so maybe possibly people in the future can discover us but i know that our lives right now yeah. are just as fascinating sure this this is a big time right now it is oh it my really word is. You're not kidding. Well, no. we are living, leaving behind that digital footprint. And I know all my opinions on Facebook are, are there forever. And I don't I regret anything I said. I Nothing. Right. <laughs> Just like your ancestor with her diary, you know, she erased herself from history to a degree, but she did leave behind that diary. And that was a... a conscious decision and like you daughters said made a conscious yeah. decision to keep those diaries i mean no we do have a story of the burning of you know my great-grandfather's papers james clark wellings yeah aunt betty before they carried her out on her bed out of the house across the street because she refused to leave her bed when they when they were moving out of the family oh my home word. Uh -huh. um she had burned James Clark Welling's papers, even though they weren't even hers, they were her sister's husband's papers. But I, you know. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess that was a thing back then. So tell us about what you do and what, you're, what project you're working on now and where we can find you. Well, I've been giving talks about uh, Elizabeth Dixon and the night Lincoln died. You know, typically I do right around the anniversary, April 15th, when Lincoln died. 
and I am returning to Connecticut to do some research. I do family research. I've got a whole other side of my family, my mother's side of the family that I'm doing. Okay. Too. And uh, like next week, I'll be going, doing the mother's mother's tour. All the houses, my grandmother's mother's 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 house. Oh, wow. They're all within 10 miles of each other. Okay. Seven houses, five generations. I have a project, the Greeley Letter. I made archival prints during the COVID shutdown of Abraham Lincoln's three-page letter that says, by paramount object, is to save the Union, not not to save or destroy slavery. It's a really, really famous writing by uh, Abraham Lincoln. He gave it to my great-grandfather because he was the editor who published it for him. He kept the original letter. I made archival prints because I look at it every day. It's it's beautiful. Mm. It is so, it's, it's like it's still breathing, the words on the page. Oh, it's wow. handwritten. You know, he has the draft that Lincoln gave him. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I'm selling a very limited series of those. And I'm working on Where that. can we find those? That's at uh, thegreeleyletter.com. I'll put that link yeah. to, in our okay. episode notes. Also, at my, uh, on my blog, eArchives, you could put that in the show notes, the, you know, by those links that I sent you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am slowly updating info about the diary, looking for a, a publisher. Now, this is the unpublished diary of Elizabeth Dixon traveling through Europe. And it's four volumes, handwritten. Is this part of the 50-page diary? This is a different diary. It's her diary, though. Yes. Five years earlier. Oh, wow. Okay, so you I didn't realize that there was... Two. Two. I've been working on the transcription and wondering how do we want to get this i mean there are little drawings in here and wow and she you know pastes things in like flowers and it's beautiful my brother uh jim he is a photographer and he did take some images of it and that is those images are at the chicago museum of art his name is james welling he's a photographer oh wow so we do have some images of the pages but it's a wonderful snapshot of 1840 to 1841 england france and italy that's a future podcast so you're you. yeah definitely absolutely well and i would love to talk about the greeley letter as well i think i wanted to read a little bit more about it so that i could yeah. under have a have an adult conversation with you about yeah. it so is there anything else that you want my listeners to know about you know i really want people to keep journals but also keeping papers, family papers, and digitizing them, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Or donating them to repositories, making the right choice, because that's actually what I do for a living. I help individuals decide whether or not they should sell things or donate them, and I find the proper repositories. Oh, wow. So is that yeah. like a business that you have? Yeah. Or? Yep. yep. So What's the name talk, of the business? E-Archives. Yeah. Okay. It's on my Caroline Welling, the Undusen.com talks about that. Okay. But I've been working on this more so. 
and working my regular job too. But I have taken on projects that have lasted for years. During those projects, I fell in love with the papers that I was working with, digitizing, and then finding libraries, repositories, um, and also auctions, the best auction house to get the, the family's gonna um, sell them, we wanna get the top dollar. Sure. Wow, what a what a uh, family legacy you have, and there's so much more uh, that you have to work with. You'll be doing this for the rest of your life. It's manageable now. Five years ago, it wasn't. Five years ago, it was overwhelming. I could but, imagine because I'm not a historian. I'm an archivist. Okay, I'm uh, interested in my ancestors. That's it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving me your time and sharing your family history with my audience. Thank you. And I feel I'm so happy that I've been able to come on here because I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. And I'm you. a regular listener. Oh. So there you have it. Caroline Welling Van Dusen talking about her third great-grandmother, Elizabeth Dixon. For more information, be sure to check out our episode notes. Thanks for joining us and have a great week.